chapters thirty three and thirty four of the long long trail by max brand this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty three suppose one were to lead a starved beggar to a loaded banquet table and then give him ten dollars to persuade him to sit down the mood of sheriff claney as he stared at the canvas sack was the mood of the beggar he had his first clue to the whereabouts of a criminal whose apprehension would not only restore his vanishing prestige but would even raise him up on a higher pedestal than before to try and fail is human to try again and then succeed is glory sheriff claney felt that his lean strong hand was extending toward the green wreath this time there would be no question of escape if he came in range of the outlaw again it would be a matter of lead and powder and buzzard food left behind dead he was worth as much as he was worth alive but in addition to all this to have a sack of five thousand dollars added for his personal use he rubbed his hands for the first time since the jailbreak the heart of the sheriff was warmed but as for going to the saloon-keeper and gambler and thrusting the five thousand into his hands this was not at all to the liking of the sheriff he had another idea which was fully as good as long as the correct information were exacted from carroll there was no good reason why the money should not remain in hands which would use it to far better advantage he went straight to the saloon with the gold in a valise what's in it was the gambler's first question something i can't get here good booze the quip did not please carroll but he regarded the sheriff with a calm eye if claney had known parts of the gambler's past certain parts which jess drear for instance could have told him he would have put a gun to his head before he would have taunted such a man but he ran on i've come on an unpleasant errand to-day carroll mostly you don't come on no other kind of errands what's on your mind to put it to you straight your games are on my mind my games are straight of course you've got to say that it's true sheriff i've been hearin stories uh, let me see there was a gent that blew through town little squat fat half-breed sort he was said you was workin something that looked like a brake on your wheel what about it the gambler flushed i had a fool workin for me that was six months ago he came to me and showed me how he could fix up the wheel so it would make a pile of money for me i told him i wasn't running that sort of a game he thought i was kidding i told him straight but i took him on and give him a job he was busted well he was a snake he knew how much i'd been used to makin on the wheel he fixes up a brake on the wheel and of course he busts the boys for a great big percentage he gives me what the house used to make right along and he sneaks the rest of it into his pocket in about a week i went over and watched the wheel one day seemed to me it was running queer that night i looked it over and found the break i called in tommy gave him the licking of his life and a hundred dollars for luck and sent him on his way that's the only crooked thing that there's ever been about my house i would have paid back the boys that lost their money but how could i find em and if they knew i was payin would they have told me just how much they lost no there was nothin i could do besides i didn't get the coin it was the thief that done that so there you are sheriff and that's the truth there was no escaping from the sincerity of the man it's the first time that i've ever been even questioned he said gloomily 
that's the point said the sheriff hastily you've been going on so long that some of the boys are kind of suspicious at this carroll rose from his chair look here he said quietly what are you here for trouble sit down danny sit down i'm a reasonable man and i got your interest at heart you'll see that i have in a minute right off i'm going to tell you that what some folks is kind of riled about they don't like the sort of gents that you bring in and put up at your rooms danny my friends is my friends declared the saloon-keeper grimly and if you and the rest of the town don't like em you and the rest of the town can go to the devil that's straight is that fishin for trouble said the sheriff coldly you know it ain't but you can take it any way you want name some of the gents that ain't been liked jess drear it shook dan carroll to his feet coming so smoothly so unexpectedly it was utterly impossible for him to control his expression and his staring eyes had in a moment admitted everything he saw at once that he was exposed the sheriff had tilted himself back in his chair and was grinning complacently at the other it's a lie was all he could say more angrily than effectively hush up danny you done it smooth all right and i wouldn't never have guessed it if it hadn't been for one thing drear himself jeff's done that muttered the saloon-keeper he told i put him through the third degree danny and he busted down and told slowly as though the strength were gradually melting from his legs danny carroll sank into the chair he done that was all he could murmur and he stared at the floor but i didn't want to ride you about it went on the sheriff smoothly i'll tell you why i like you carroll you look square to me and i didn't see no good in making trouble for you for shielding an outlaw he paused to let the words sink in and then went on but now things are different drear is gone from jail i've got to find him and i come to you and say dan carroll you know where jess drear is tell me as he spoke the last words he leaned over and thrust his fingers under the nose of the other dan carroll raised his eyes slowly from the floor sheriff he said i don't know but if jess is a hound then i'm worse than a hound and no matter what he's done to me i still got to stand behind him and if i knew where he was to-day you couldn't drag it out of me carroll go easy i could bust you it'd be a black case again ya first a charge o using a brake on the wheel would you scrape that up business is business first the brake then this shielding of an outlaw you can't prove it i'll swear you've admitted it besides i can prove anything on a gambler and saloon-keeper you ain't got a chance perspiration broke out on the forehead of carroll but he shook his head stubbornly me and jess has been pals go ahead with your dirty work i won't blab on him besides i'm tired of talk sheriff i need a drink so do i admitted the sheriff but i'm not through carroll sighed and settled again into his chair the strain had been great and he was weary there's one thing i want to bring up in your mind danny if you lose this place you lose a lot you wasn't no church attendant saint a few years back but you reformed you settled down you played square you got a place for yourself in salt springs and people trust you you're willing to risk all that in order to shield drear i'll tell you why it's because you've had some bad luck danny and you've blowed so much coin that now you ain't got any more than a fingernail grip on your saloon inspiration struck across the mind of the sheriff carroll who brought you the bad luck who busted you mighty near 
it was drear playin' with ye every night and the gambler nodded gloomily now listen to me partner will ye talk turkey not in a thousand years sheriff i'm busted anyways the sheriff paused he had worked hard to save the money for himself but drear meant more than money to him he pointed to the satchel pick that up the gambler obeyed it's dust five thousand carol that coin belongs to you if you talk the big hand of the other tightened on the grip of the satchel he's north he said huskily windeville then realization of what he had done rushed on him he hurled the bribe to the floor you skunk he cried take the coin i don't want it besides i told you wrong he ain't in a thousand miles of windville but the sheriff stood at the door smiling keep the money danny and i'll keep my word so long he was gone and dan carroll dropped into a chair jess he whispered it kind of busted out i couldn't help it forgive me chapter thirty four but the retirement of jeff claney was purely a feint he understood it perfectly that if he had remained another moment in the room he would have had the money hurled at his head with a bullet behind it perhaps he knew also that temptation is like whisky it needs time to work it goes down raw and makes one shudder with repulsion at first taste afterward a glow runs through the body and fire mounts to the head the world is seen awry in other words the sheriff waited until the gambler had had time to estimate the value of that gold he waited until carroll having finished the count would have made up his mind to retain the satchel and its contents for the sheriff was sure that once the man had actually fingered the contents he would never let them go in exactly one hour the sheriff returned and at a single glance he knew that his purpose was accomplished the glance of dan carroll was no longer straight and solemn it flicked here and there and there was a glitter in his eyes that pleased the sheriff enormously dan carroll had no word to greet claney but the latter had seen at once that the satchel had been removed it was locked in the gambler's safe it was also locked in his heart he had estimated the sum he had counted it it was already a part of his life before the sheriff he backed into a corner and stood there like a savage animal able to tear its keeper to shreds but held in awe of the trainer's whip this simile occurred to sheriff claney and made him smile he enjoyed such scenes as this just as a chemist loves to watch some sturdy amalgam melt under the touch of an acid so the sheriff looked through the eyes of carroll and saw the disintegration of his soul and his honour after the opening pause the sheriff laid his cards frankly upon the table he talked in a very business-like manner not as one who is opening a proposition but rather as one who has already reached an agreement and is now merely giving the details a final summing up he told carroll what was wanted of him not persuasively but as if a refusal would have astonished him too much for words he counted off his points on the tips of his fingers and he kept looking at his hands instead of at carroll's face for he knew that if he did the latter shame might undo all that he had accomplished with talk threats and money after all it was settled very briefly one hour later claney went back to his office in the jail and sent for gus norman 
the latter came at once and was met with this question can you give me a man with an eye in his head and a tongue he can keep from wagging too much open up demanded gus norman then i'll tell you i will here's the way it stands i'm not going to tackle jess drear in windville that's where he is it is and i know the hotel he's living in i guess there ain't more than one hotel there for that matter but i don't want to tackle drear in a town where he's known and where they's mostly his friends i want to get him off by himself then i'll gather him in well that takes time and i got the time to put in on it i understand he's fixed fine in windville and won't be apt to leave for a long time windville is so far in the hills that it don't hear nothing about what goes on in other places it ain't ever heard a drear maybe anyway he's showing himself open up there and everybody's for him that's what carroll says first i want to send up a man and make sure he's there and then give drear a letter to tell him you're coming asked gus norman dryly it's a letter from dan carroll said the sheriff gus norman gaped and then the two grinned in silent enjoyment my boy joe is the one for you he's just up and around and i guess he ain't got any reason for lovin the valentines and them that stand in with the valentines i'll bring joe to you besides ridin is his long suit and joe norman was brought he was a very short distance into his twenties a dark handsome boy his eyebrows met in a straight black line but the eyes themselves were rather wide and weak his chin too was of grecian roundness and strength but his mouth lacked decision he was the sort of youth about whom one would not venture to predicate much that was good or much that was bad he obviously needed ripening ten years would tell the tale with joe norman he had taken one great step toward full manhood in the past month he had stepped up and faced his first gunfight without flinching he had felt the tear and burn of a bullet through his arm and now that he was himself again the experience had fully doubled his self-reliance into his hands the sheriff after a moment of explanation delivered the letter and the next morning in the early dawn joe started north there were two ways to windville one was a straight cut through the mountains a journey uphill and down dale dipping into little valleys where there were miserable ranches and rising again to rocky heights it was a leg-breaking short cut the other means of approaching the town in the mountains was by no means simple it would have wrecked the staunchest buckboard that was ever built but it did not embrace half as many precipitous drops and back-breaking climbs it was fifty per cent longer in time and a hundred per cent less in effort so joe took the roundabout way he was a skilled judge of the strength of a horse and he handled his mount so well that he reached windville a short time after dark he went straight to windville's one hotel not that this was any imputation against the size and wealth of the little city in the hills but jack turner had gathered most of the business of the place into his own hands and he had built this rambling structure which contained blacksmith shop general merchandise store hay grain and wood saloon and hotel all in shed after shed shack after shack story after story a confused jumble of which the proprietor himself did not know half the details 
it had grown up in the course of two or three generations as wildly and as freely as if it had sprung of its own strength and its own volition out of the rocky soil to find a man in this place was like finding the proverbial needle joe norman went straight to the source of all information the bar and to guide his inquiries he had only one bit of information jess drear was a gambler it was an old situation that met him in the saloon two men were doing the spending one stood at one end of the bar each trying to set up more drinks than the other and each drawing his own crowd of followers about him joe norman instantly took a place in the exact middle neutral ground it might be called and there he remained while the bartenders served several rounds of drinks he kept his own first drink untasted on the bar before him and presently this sign that he wished to speak privately across the bar was noticed the saloon-keeper approached and lent a hasty ear for he was perspiring with his labours is there a game running around here he asked sure and the other nodded and lifted his eyebrows as he made the reply go straight back first door on your left you'll hear the noise where you start going down the hall the first impulse of joe norman was to follow this advice but it occurred to him as singular indeed that jess drear no matter how bold should be sitting in at so public a game so he remained standing at the bar with his drink still untasted until the bartender bent close to him again this time with a frown anything wrong nope but ain't there a game where i won't hear the noise the bartender returned no answer he scurried down the bar and presently he flashed a keen glance at the stranger harry he called and to another man in a white apron he said take my place for a minute harry i see a friend he came from behind the bar joe norman had already taken the hint and retired to an obscure corner now who are you and what do you want was the first query i want a game partner sure you do but why because i got a friend sitting in on it who his name don't matter said norman cautiously well he's a tall gent three inches taller than me broad shoulders long pair of arms long lean face steady sort of eye know him the bartender continued to dry his hands on his apron mm, he said and who'll i say is here no name I just tell him that a friend has got a message give me the message then joe norman hesitated it might be that this fellow knew nothing but he had to take the chance looking the bartender squarely in the eye he smiled and waited in silence it seemed that this smile meant many things oh murmured the other oh that's it ah huh? well come along maybe you ain't right but i'm no mind reader he led past half a dozen little flights of steps through many a crooked hallway and came at length to a door which was totally black no edging of light showed around it yet on this he rapped after a moment it was opened a little and the light burst out joe norman saw now that the edges of the door were padded with felt the better to shut out light and sound from within he saw nothing heard nothing except the subtle whispering of card on card as someone dealt swiftly and the fall was deadened by the cover of felt on the table it was the most exciting sound joe norman had ever heard in the meantime the bartender was conferring with an unseen man at the door and in a murmur at length the door was closed and he turned to joe come here he'll see you in the next room 
he led the way to a dingy little square room with no light except a smoky lamp in a corner and there he left the spy end of chapters thirty three and thirty four